Good morning. This is Peter John, and you are tuned in to K Apple. And this is Rogue Grace at this 10 o'clock hour on this Tuesday morning in February. The book of Hebrews was written under a specific situation where the believers, the Christians were going back to rituals and sacrifices. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding them there are no more sacrifices. You know, that's a simple but powerful reality. There are no more sacrifices you can make for God. (laughs) By that I mean in terms of becoming more righteous or justifying yourself? Nope, you cannot be any more righteous than you are right now. Through the righteousness of Christ Jesus. You may have had a bad day yesterday or a rough morning so far that doesn't at all affect your righteousness in and through Jesus Christ. Listen to this text from Hebrews. And we're in chapter 10, and it reads, Every priest stands daily at God's service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Hebrews 10, verse 11. But, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all those who are being sanctified. (laughs) By a single offering, he has perfected us. He was offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. See what I mean then when I say there are no more sacrifices. (laughs) There's no making up. There's no gaining ground. As far as your holiness is concerned, your position, it is finished. I like what my dad said about this. He was talking about here in Hebrews chapter 10, the forecast of the weather. The forecast can be a good forecast or it can be a bad forecast, depending on you. Okay, for example, the forecast can be, it is really, really windy, right? That can be a bummer if you're wearing a toupee. 
It can be awesome if you want to go skydiving, let's say, or if you want to go windsurfing, right? So a warning for some people is actually a blessing to others. And that is our text here in Hebrews chapter 10. For the writer, listen to what he says. It's like a warning, but it's a joyful warning if it is possible to say that. For he writes in Hebrews chapter 10, he writes about Christians who are going back to the law. These Hebrews were going back to the Old Testament. And so he writes, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remaining a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse then do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, and the Lord will judge his people. Finally, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Indeed. It's a fearful thing just to read that scripture at first read. But keep in mind this, as I just read from Hebrews chapter 10. Keep in mind whom he is writing to. He is writing to a group of people that were at least being enticed to go back up under the law. And so those words I just read, which are indeed, man, they'll cut you to the heart. They are words that are read by me indeed, but intended for those who backslide back into legalism. I think as Christians, if I could get a, if I could take a poll, my opinion is that more Christians struggle with backsliding into legalism than backsliding into hedonism. That's my opinion, perspective. That's just my experience with Christians. But what it says here is if you want to see an angry father, a living God who is angry, turn your back on what his son did and try to make it right on your own. That is what, as my dad says in his teaching on this text, Hebrews 10, that is backsliding. Backsliding in this particular text, backsliding in the book of Hebrews is sliding back up under legalism and the law once again. 
Now, my dad brought up a great point as well, and and, and I want to re-articulate what he said or just repeat, let me just say, repeat what he said. I love this. When we take communion, so often I have heard people say we need to review our sin and there's this sense of heaviness and condemnation. But Jesus, when he gave his disciples the elements of communion, that first communion, remember that? The night before he went to the cross, the night he was betrayed, he said what? Do this in remembrance of how bad you messed up last week. Nope. He said, do this in remembrance of me, he said. Not in remembrance of your sin, remembrance of my sacrifice, remembrance of my service. I love that. As my dad pointed out, that's so cool. Do this in remembrance of me. When I take communion, I'm being healed. And I do this in remembrance. And I don't remember so much. No, he doesn't say remember your sin. He says, do this in remembrance of me. I love this doing this radio program because every single day I get to do this in remembrance of him, of Jesus. All right, that's cool. That's our book of Hebrews for today. Let's see. I need to come up with a song here. Hmm, let's see. Uh, let's go with, what do you guys say out there in Radio Land? You see, I have this big, huge song list, and I forgot what three-fourths of the songs are since my little brain collapsed the other day. So this will be interesting. I'll just pick a song. Well, you know, I, I love Matt Mayer. I know all his songs. So let's go with Matt Mayer and... Let's go with everything is grace. Can we pull that off? We can. All right. We'll be right back. Your joy when the morning comes, your hope keeps me looking up. Your voice 
I want to thank you for tuning in, whether it be for the entire hour of Rogue Grace or for five minutes. Thank you. I'm so grateful for this opportunity to be able to open up the gospel, the scriptures. What a blessing to be able to speak it, to hear it. Cool stuff. So I want to share something with you that take it, apply it as you are able. In other words, as the Holy Spirit enables you to. If you think that what I'm about to say is a bunch of bunk, could be, then forget it. If what I'm about to say applies, then apply it. All right? Agreed? Here's what I want to say. When you're focused on your ability to come to the Lord, you never will. And the irony is when you are not focused on yourself at all, but on the Lord upon the Son of God, the one who walks on water, you will come to him. The difference between sinking and swimming is not what you are doing, but where you are looking. Of course, case in point, as Peter, the apostle, the disciple, looked to Jesus He stepped over that which he thought would sink him. The water, the waves, and the wind. He walked over that which he thought would sink him as he looked to Jesus, not at himself. You you know the story. When he began to look at himself, his feet, his walk, he sunk you know, when I, I, I sink real quick when I'm focused on my walk, on my feet, on my steps, on any given day, I will sink. But when I'm focused on Jesus's walk, his feet, those that have been nailed and yet he has risen, his walk his feet, when I focus on Jesus stepping out and doing the impossible, I find my own walk to be increased. The law of God says, look at yourself. The grace of God says, look to Jesus, fixing our eyes upon him. That's all faith is, is looking at Jesus, appreciating, admiring, and loving Jesus. The law says you you can't do that so often. Grace says nothing is impossible. Grace doesn't say no, no, no. Grace says no, (laughs) K-N-O-W. The law says, stay in the boat. 
Grace says, come unto me. So I give Peter credit because it says in the scriptures, as you know, he cried out to Jesus when he was, quote, and I quote, beginning to sink. And I love how Jesus reacts. He grabs Peter and places him right back in the boat. Jesus didn't say, you're sinking. All right, you made your bed, now sleep in it. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't say to me or you, you're sinking. You made your bed, now sleep in it. Jesus says, you call out to me, I will rescue you. I will lift you. I will comfort you. I will strengthen you. It's so cute when I was watching my daughter play softball over the years. When she was younger, when they were playing softball, it was so cute because you would watch them, quote, lead off. You know, leading off in baseballs when you make it to base and then you take a few steps off during the pitch and between pitches to give you a lead to the next base, leading off, right? You know that. Well, these girls, they were told to lead off and they literally got off the base for maybe about a half an inch. And that was it. So there's, And they, they're all tense and on the edge, they're looking at the pitcher, watching the ball, these little tiny girls, a half inch leading off. And I thought, I wonder if that's me sometimes. I wonder if that's you. Afraid to lead off, to step out, to take risks. But, but look at Peter. He steps out. He takes a risk, right? He steps out. Out of the boat. And he got wet, true. But he also encountered Jesus. Sometimes I feel that way. Man, I got all dunked. I'm all wet. But at least I encountered Jesus. I like what one rabbi said about these things. He said, "Don't look at this don't look at your feet to see if you're doing it right. Just dance." I think that's kind of the 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 point of the story of Peter, when he didn't look at his feet, he was dancing. He was walking on the water. It's when he looked at his own feet, he sunk. I know exactly how that feels. When my feet are not being the center of my attention, when Jesus is the center of my attention, when I'm admiring his walk, his work, his grace, I find myself walking, rising above it. It's when I start focusing on my walk, lack there of my stumbles and my bruised toes, I begin to sink. So, what I just said, if there's anything that you can apply to your own heart, good. We'll be right back. seem to see my way out of the storm I'm in doubting waves crashing in down to my last mustard seed God help hold me of little faith 
of little hope What I would give to know Answers waiting on the other side Of the pain and the tears I've cried At the end of a worn out road God help oh me of little In fear of fighting there Somewhere in between A fumbling fool I am I'll never understand How you, oh God of endless grace Could love all me of little faith Oh me of little peace This world won't let me be Spinning out of my control Troubled times, troubled soul Help me fix my eyes on thee God help on me of little peace Oh me of little love A lonely life in the middle of I see your face is racing on I think I find it, then it's gone But you fill my empty cup God help on me of little love Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief Cause trust and fear of fighting them Somewhere in between A fumbling fool I am I'll never understand How you, oh God of endless grace Could love on me of little faith Heavy weight pressing down on my shoulders now. Took a while, but I'm finding now. Blessed are the ones so weak. God help all me of little strength. Oh me of little hope. Oh me of little peace. Oh me of little love. I'll never understand how you all got of endless grace and love on me little faith So what is Hebrews 10 telling us as I mentioned a couple of segments ago Well to put it in my dad's words When the wind is blowing, either it messes your hair up or you're glad because you're a hairdresser. (laughs) And so too with this powerful warning from Hebrews that I read a segment or two ago, the wind of his warning rushes through, but depending on where you're standing, it's not so much something that is depressing but something invigorating, and that is don't go back. You think, oh, I know, don't go back to how I was before, to what I was before. Wait just a minute. 
don't go back into the law is what Hebrews chapter 10 is telling us. That's why we do this in remembrance of Jesus. I, I love this story of, maybe you've heard me tell it before, I can't remember. So I claim ignorance on that. But I love the story of where there's a dad and his son who just buy a brand new, for them, a brand new donkey. Oh, this was some hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years ago in another land in a far off place. And so they make the journey to where the donkey was being sold and they get to the estate and they purchase the donkey and they begin to walk back and make the trip back home again. And so the dad puts his son on the donkey and leads the donkey. And as they pass through that first village, the, the people in the village gathered around. They started to laugh and mock and say, look at that dad putting his son on the donkey. Showing that he gets no respect from his son. <laughs> what a terrible dad. So, as a result, the dad takes the son, the boy, off the donkey and gets on himself. And the boy's leading the donkey and they make it to the next town. You might know this story. I've only told it probably a thousand times. I have no idea. But the people of the town began to gather and shake their heads. I can't believe that man making his son lead the donkey and walk while he rides in comfort. Shame on him. And so the man puts the son behind him and they're both riding the donkey now. And as they make it into the next village, people start shaking their heads, saying, how can they make that donkey carry both of them? Shame on them. So finally heading into their hometown, they finally make it and the townspeople gather around. They can't believe what they see. The father and the son are carrying the donkey as a result. And so often I think, like those guys, we're trying to figure it out. How does this work, this Christianity? What do I carry? What do people think? What do I look like? The answer is, it don't matter. <laughs> I mean to say that as sincere and nicely as I can. Who cares what people think? Who cares how you see yourself? What matters is, how does the Lord see you? And I'll tell you how he sees you. He sees you in his son, Jesus Christ. Praise the name of Jesus. the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all, bring forth the royal diadem. 
diadem and crown him Lord of all. He chosen seed of Israel's race, he ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. You are Lord of all. On this terrestrial ball To him all majesty ascribe And crown him Lord of all To him all majesty ascribe And crown him Lord So that's what that guy from DC Talk is doing now. Michael Tate is his name. See, I again, I haven't, I don't remember so many of these songs, so I see, oh, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's play it. And there you go. DC Talk dude. <laughs> uh, there was a time when I was sitting with a, a young couple um, talking to them. They had just been saved. They just became Christians. And they asked me the question, so where do we begin? They were talking about their Bible. That's a great question. I mean, you have this huge book, right? Do you begin at the beginning and work your way through? You know, that's a great thing to do. I, I, I love to do that. Um, but I will confess that for many, um, when I was younger, myself even, uh, you make it through Genesis, great. Exciting stories, wonderful insights. And then you get to Exodus, cool. The deliverance from Egypt and Pharaoh and the Ten Commandments. And then comes Leviticus. Dun, dun, dun. And you make it to about Leviticus chapter 7. And that's that until the next New Year's resolution. <laughs> so it's hard to say, oh, begin in Genesis and go right through when you have Leviticus and then you have things such as the book of Job or, uh, you know, things such as Jeremiah and Habakkuk and so forth. I mean, I love it all, but for a brand new Christian, see, there's no chapters in the Bible divinely orchestrated, by the way, where you say, turn to this chapter 
on raising kids or finances or marriage. The Bible is so much more, what word should I use here? Nuanced, mystical, than to simply have chapter nine, methods of raising your adolescent teenagers. I could sure use one of those, by the way, but I don't have that, not in the Bible. Now, why? Because the Bible is not an instruction book. Although most people may tend to look at it that way. Sprinkled with stories. No, it's a story. The Bible is a story. Yes, sprinkled with instructions. Can I repeat that? The Bible is not an instruction book sprinkled with stories. The Bible is a story sprinkled with instructions. A story that takes place over 1,500 years. 40 different authors to write it in three different languages. So, as my dad has pointed out in the past, the Bible is not a manual. Although that's what many people, and even Christians, view it as, in my opinion. No, it's not primarily a manual, but Emmanuel, which means God with us. And if you want to know Jesus, just read your Bible. So often people think or say, man, the Bible contradicts itself. Nope. The problem is the Bible contradicts you (laughs) and your innate desires or your whatever your innermost being may be saying, but the Bible does not contradict itself. So what I get to do is open my Bible in Genesis, in Leviticus, in James, in Revelation, and agree with it and say, it doesn't make sense to me. I might not have written that, but then again, good news for everyone. I am not God. your kingdom come and let your will be done and give us today all that we need and forgive our sins as we forgive each other yours is the
nature But deliver us from the evil one And lead us not, Lord Into temptation segment of KAPL and you know it says that right now there is a new song being sung in heaven right now wouldn't that be cool to always be singing a new song I mean it doesn't matter if they have been there for a thousand years or ten thousand years or a hundred thousand years it's still a new song who are they they are myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Somehow, some way, that's going to be a new song. No matter how long we are in heaven, <laughs> and I love what my, my pops pointed out in one of his sermons. And he so, told me before as well, people say, boy, what, what if I don't like the music in heaven? I mean, I'm a country music fan. Or on the other side, I'm a heavy metal fan, <laughs> right? Those are two different kinds of fans, right? Heavy metal on one hand or country music on the other. Somehow, someway, when the music comes out, it will be right in your wheelhouse, right 
in the place where you go, yeah, now that is music. And what a day that will be when we are with the angels who are singing, receive, O Lamb, power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing forever. The celebration. Think about the celebration that was in heaven when Jesus died on the cross and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit in his final words and bowed his head and gave up his life and then comes into heaven. Think about those thousands upon thousands of angels celebrating when Jesus first comes back into the heavenly spectrum. It must have been amazing. And so too, when you get to heaven, when you walk in there, there's going to be an awesome celebration. Until then, may heaven be in your heart. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in on this Tuesday morning edition of Rogue Grace. Thank you for your prayers for me. I'm feeling better and better every day. Even if my memory is getting worse and worse. <laughs> it's all good. The Lord bless you, and I will talk to you, Lord willing, tomorrow. God bless.